All right, everybody, welcome. Welcome back to Way of the Truth Warrior. My name is David Whitehead. I'm back. It's been a while. Today is Monday, August 22nd, 2022. And today we're going to talk about conspiracy theories. The conspiracy theories that plague the internet. And we're going to talk about the real ones, okay? Not theoretical ones. Not the wacky doodle ones. Not the ones that everybody thinks we're talking about. The real ones. That's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to dive into the work of the late, great Dr. John Coleman. I was just uh, away on a bit of vacation and was reading this book on the airplane. Once again, it had been years since I read it. And I just realized how many things were called in this book and have been called by people on uh, our side, the conspiracy side, for many decades. And so I thought it would be good refresher for us to go through. Some of you obviously will already be aware of, of many of these aspects, but many are not. There's always new people coming to these realizations that what we've been told is not all entirely accurate, to put it mildly, and that there's something very nefarious going on in the world. And I bet you many of you who might just be coming into this understanding of how the world really works um, and the criminal elements that operate not just at the lower levels of our society, but go all the way up to our cherished, trusted institutions. When you're starting to get that understanding, you're probably got a lot of questions as I did, as everybody did. And there's still many questions because we're studying a mystery. We're studying something that is so huge and so monumental, but at the same time, so relevant to what's happening and the direction our world is taking. And so my job on this show, I feel, is to just try to do my best to go through, um, give the credit where it's due to the people who came before us to alert us to many of these facts who tried to warn us well in advance of the time we're in now. And so when you hear these warnings from people of the past, and then you hear people today issuing warnings about where things could be going, should they not be stopped or at least investigated, um, that we should maybe take heed because we're at, we're at different stages of the game and different researchers jumped in at different periods of time in history. Different whistleblowers came out. Different pieces of information came out. The overall alternative research, independent journalist, conspiracy world is rather new. That field of that body of research and thought is, is relatively new, even though we would argue that the conspiracy, conspiracy quote-unquote, to enslave humanity, to... Um, get full spectrum dominance over earth's resources has been in effect for a long time. There's nothing new about this new world order. It's been spoken of for centuries actually. Um, but a lot of people are new to finding out about it. So I, uh, will be constantly going over it again. And I always do that. You gotta, you can't just read a book once or watch a documentary once or look at a piece of information once and then move on. I know there's a lot to go through, but there has to be those of us out there in this community, in this research network that go back as current events take place and unfold right before our eyes. Um, we have to go back again and, and go, hey, I, I thought I heard something kind of like this somewhere. And for me, it was Dr. John Coleman's where I mean, so many. I could sit here listing names endlessly of people, great people who warned us about this stuff. 
but his, for some reason, his name popped into my head. Well, obviously it's also because I referenced him heavily in uh, chapter one of my cult of the medics documentary series, which you can check out right now for free. The first eight chapters with more chapters coming, you can get that over at cultofthemedics.com. So in relation to this podcast, I recommend going back to chapter one, my first chapter. Um, I feel like it's improved tremendously on the course of, of creating it, but it's still very valuable information. So chapter one, I took some clips of a speech given by Dr. John Coleman, which I think you can still find on the web. Maybe go look it up. You might find pieces of it. But when you read the book and you go into the sources and you go into the appendix and then you start researching all of that and looking up the names he's mentioning of many of these occult secret groups, these power brokers. Um, wow, <laughs> that's a different story. And it definitely is uh, rather enlightening to say the least, especially given the situation we find ourselves in right now. So I hope this adds a lot of relevance to you. Welcome everybody. So good to see you. Let me know where in the world you're watching from. And uh, yeah, I was away for a bit. That's why we didn't have a show last week. Um, went to a wedding in Ontario and I made it back safely without being harassed, luckily. Although it'd be a different story if I left the country and came back into Canada, then I would have problems. Oh, let's not digress into the shit show that is Canada right now. Um, let's look at the big picture and find out how we got here. How about that? How about that? So, oh, Scotland. How's it going? Scotland, Langshire, England. David Williams is here. PBC is here. The Netherlands. Ooh, the Netherlands. You guys are the forefront right now. Go Dutch. My mother, my mother is from Holland and her family. And seeing these Dutch farmers getting out and resisting the acquisition of their land and resources by these globalist elites. Yeah, Dutch farmers rock, absolutely. And it, it, it also blessed my heart to see them waving the Canadian flag. You know, that did, that did my heart good. So let's keep fighting this tyranny, guys. And good to see you all. Uh, let me just double check quickly. Sorry, guys. Let me check on all my streams before we rock and roll. I got a lot of reading for you, a lot of notes. And as usual, um, after the show, I provide my notes and the slides that I'm going to show you today, which are just some screenshots I took from the book. Just want to focus on a few different things. I'll be posting all of that over on my Telegram channel. You can find me t.me dwtruthwarrior. Uh, it's all linked over at my website, dwtruthwarrior.com if you get lost. But I will be posting after because this is about us researching together. I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm just showing you the research I've got, sharing my thoughts as they happen and take it for what it's worth and then add what is uniquely your own, as Bruce Lee would say. So I'll post that over there for you guys. Let me see how the foxhole's doing. Go always love my friends and family over at the foxhole. We are live over there. Hello, everybody. Someone's saying Bill Cooper is one of his faves. Yeah, there's many, 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 many. Got more from Scotland. We've got a lot from Scotland tuning in. I should have brought some scotch with me. Um, okay, we got DLive happening. Twitch is happening. Rockfin is happening. We are ready to go. Okay. So this book. Here, let's just get the slides rocking here. Um, 
this book, key information that will help you understand some things. And actually, I, as I'm doing this, I was just reminded of a question that popped into the chat as soon as I notified everybody that I was doing this show. So I'm going to start with that question before we even get into it. But let me just make sure my slides are working first. My slides. Yes, we should start from the beginning, of course. Okay, yes. Okay. So here, let me just show you what we're talking about here. Okay, for those that are new, we are talking about this book, The Conspirator's Hierarchy, The Committee of 300. I happen to possess the fourth edition, and it's written by Dr. John Coleman. There's a picture of him. And so, yeah, if you're looking on YouTube, this is the kind of stuff you're looking, this is the guy you're looking for. Um, and he exposed what we call the top of the pyramid in a way that no one had done before. And uh, there's so much to get into here. So before I get into the actual notes, let me pull that question up real quick so we can deal with it. Okay. Someone asked me this, David, genuine question, any truth? that Dr. John was a double agent and apparently exposed by Eustace Mullins and also that he plagiarized a lot of Lyndon LaRouche's work. Thanks. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on on the internet and people make claims and I, I don't, I don't think that's the case. And the reason I say that is I've studied all of their work, Lyndon LaRouche, Eustace Mullins, Dr. John Coleman, and yes, they have differences. And yes, they have disagreements about certain details, but in my opinion, when we're zooming out and looking at the, the, the massive level of what we're looking at here, what we're studying, what these men were studying and exposing, um, the differences are trivial. You got to remember too, there's also, a, it's a very highly competitive environment, this conspiracy world. It's a crazy, wacky world in many ways. And there's a lot of people that go out there and accuse everybody of plagiarizing, plagiarizing, because everybody wants to be the first one to discover something. And it's kind of hard sometimes to even pin down who was it that really did first discover the thing. And I just get to the point where I go, I don't even care. <laughs> like I do, but I don't because in the end, aren't we just supposed to be exposing what's really going on so we can wake humanity up and be rid of these vermin, whoever they are, wherever they are. And all the little battles that go on about who said it first and who owns the knowledge and all that. Uh, I just kind of zip by there and I read all of them and then I compare it and I look for common threads. And then I do something where I don't just take people's word for things. So what I'm looking at with Dr. Coleman, or if I were to do the same presentation and bring up a Eustace Mullins book, who's another great exposer of these, these networks and how they work. Uh, you should look at it all and then go look at the sources. And when they list names, like certain individuals throughout history, certain organizations, secret societies, certain government groups, certain funds, you know, um, and trusts, you just start go to look into it and see if they exist and see if what they're actually saying has any evidence to back it up. And you'll find that there's lots of evidence to back it up. And the evidence, the biggest evidence being that everything they were all predicting is happening. So I don't get into the little drama of the squabbles between, and, and this is the other thing about this movement. Everybody's a conspiracy theorist and they're paranoid. Um, 
And remember that quote, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. I, I can understand it. Okay. But you know, you get down that track so much, you start thinking everybody that has a different point to make, or maybe has a slight disagreement with you or comes from a particular religious perspective or a philosophical perspective or whatever perspective that if they don't agree with you, they must be a plant by the Illuminati to undermine your work and, and, you know, do you in. And this happens a lot. This happens to me, guys. I'm just a guy doing podcasts, covering the research of greater minds than mine. And because I say things that some people don't like, I'm suddenly a plant, a shill. I'm paid by that. It's just the way everything works. So you're going to find that if you're new to the conspiracy world, welcome. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to start reading stuff. You're going to start getting in. And then you're going to start to see that everybody's calling everybody a shill. Everybody's accusing everybody of plagiarizing their work. And I just feel like that's a lot of misdirection. Um, it's just the way humans are. We can't get around it. But here's the problem with it. And I hope we can evolve because whoever's creating the new world, whoever's at the top of this power pyramid, even as cutthroat and as psychopathic as they are with each other, as much as they are with the rest of humanity, they are incredibly unified and organized towards this agenda. And they know how to make deals, just like the mafia. Sometimes you're fighting the guys that are running a different corner than you. And sometimes you come in allegiance with them to avoid getting uh, smoked out by the authorities through some sting operation. So we, the people that are trying to resist this tyranny and expose this grand agenda for world control and the subjugation of humanity to the next level, uh, we have to become unified at least on the things that matter. And then we can have our disagreements. Is that too much to ask? Can we like, when I name certain organizations and societies, I know the chat's going to start blasting me with, well, no, I think it's this, these groups are at the top. It's this, that's at the top. It's not that it's this, he was wrong about that. Great. Everybody's got their opinion. Can we all at least align on the fact that there is such an agenda? Name the group that runs it, whatever the hell you want. These people change cloaks and names and titles and allegiances all the time, right up to this very moment, right? One time they're working to suppress China and another time they're propping China up as the new world order example of how we should run our society. One time they're promoting the new American establishment and another time they want to destroy America entirely. Like it's... So I guess what I'm trying to say is let's try to be um, as fluid as they are in the way we look at this and keep tracking them and just recognize in the end, we're dealing with corruption, tyranny, evil, lies, deception, um, political control, financial control. These people are power maniacs. They're megalomaniacs. They're control freaks. There's many people involved that are unwittingly involved, meaning they're just ideological they're, they're ideologically aligned, but they're kind of like the useful idiots that Stalin talked about. They don't even know what's really going on. Uh, there's a great clip that I put in chapter eight of Cult of Emetics featuring G. Edward Griffin, another brilliant contributor to exposing this, uh, where he was talking about the rings of compartmentalization, right? And that's a really good clip to check out. You should watch the whole chapter. So I think it's one of the best. But 
So yeah, just wanted to say that let's try to agree that we can disagree on certain details, but that when you're investigating something like this, like a criminal network, because that's what it is, it's a criminal network. That's as simple as we can make what these secret societies are. They're criminal networks that are working to take power illegitimately. If they were working legitimately in the light under the law, the real law, not the fake laws they invent so that it can allow them to maneuver around our laws to gain power that they shouldn't have. If they were working in the light and in the law, we wouldn't have a problem. And if their agenda wasn't something that was very anti-human, anti-freedom, anti, you know, all the things that we cherish and love, um, then we wouldn't have a problem, would we? The fact that they maybe clothe themselves as being the protectors of civilization and the progenitors of civilization and the uh, the benign rulers doesn't mean they're, they are that, you know, some of them were, a lot of them weren't case in point. Here we are in this time right now, going through what we're going through. So let's try to not chew each other's heads off as we go down and research this. And this is just one book and one man's work in a sea of work that we could look at. And we have to zoom in sometimes, then zoom back out, compare, uh, look for commonalities, look for patterns. And then again, everything I'm saying here today or everything Dr. John Coleman's going to say, go research it yourself. And that will dispel any worries that you might have. Oh, what if, what if Dave's a shill working for MI6? Or what if John Coleman was some kind of Zionist plant or something? I don't know, whatever people are going to say. Uh, just go look at the facts, see if it's true and then look around you and see if the evidence is right in front of your eyes or not. Does that sound fair? Cool. Great question though. Appreciate it. And no, I don't think that John Coleman was some kind of shill at all. Uh, quite the opposite. And neither were any of the other men you mentioned. I don't think, I think they just get competitive once in a while. And I also think there's a lot of rumors that are spread on the internet. And I also think there's a lot of real shills out there that are working for this deep state globalist apparatus that are trying to cause a stir and stir up division within a community. That's just trying to learn about what really went down. Okay. That's how that's pro that's, that's my reasonable uh, explanation there. So in my opinion, so let's move on with the slides here. Okay. So we're looking in who, so he, Dr. John Coleman, he kind of has every researcher and author likes to come up with their own unique angle. And there's something that, my colleague, Michael Tessarian said once that really resonated with me because he has his own unique angle. That's different than Dr. John Coleman's, right? But he has great respect for his work. He also has great respect for Eustace Mullins and many else. He would tell you the same thing. I just said, research them all, get rid of the unwanted stuff and find the gems. Right. But one thing that he said was that, um, oh, I'm my train of thought. What was I going for here? When you're Look, yeah, here we go. When you're looking at different works, different minds that have dedicated their lives, like Dr. John Coleman and so many others, to expose themselves and to come out and get great flack from the media and from all of their uh, colleagues and to go through what they go through to bring this information out, you're not looking at contradictions when you see them coming to different conclusions about some of this stuff than other researchers. What you're seeing is variations. And if you can see that as you go through this research curve of learning about this grand world conspiracy stuff, um, 
and I should probably define that word for you so we don't think it's something that's not. The more you can see that as variations, meaning it's like different detectives that came to a crime scene and they just have slight variations of how the murder was done. Maybe even that there were multiple, some guys think it was one guy that killed somebody. Some guys think it was multiple guys that teamed up in a conspiracy to kill somebody. Some guys think this isn't just a one hit job. It's a serial killing thing where there's lots of killings yet to come, but they all agree that there was a murder and they all agree that it was a crime and they all agree that the killer's still on the loose. Does that make sense? So the variations of the theory of how the murder happened almost don't really matter right now. We're just trying to get people around the fact that a murder happened and the serial killer is still loose. If we could start there with the general public, we'd be well ahead of the curve here. Okay. And then you leave it up to these guys to chew it out amongst themselves. So there's that. But Dr. John Coleman, his narrative was that he called this the committee of 300 because and that wasn't just his term. That's the term that he was told by getting access to some insiders, um, reading. He, he studied in the London library or the university. What was it? The, uh, it was one of the top libraries in London, England. He had access to, and he dug out a lot of this stuff, a lot of the connections and others have done it as well. And he built upon others work and then kept repackaging it and bringing it forward. And, you know, so these names, the committee of 300, we're going to get into a group calling themselves the Olympians after the Greek pantheon, the Olympians, they're like the demigods. Um, and so his book, the committee of 300 was basically his, it was, I think it came from Walter Rathenau, who was a French, uh, he was one of the, he was in with the French Rothschilds. So he had unique access and it was him that made some statements that said, there are 300 men that rule the world and they're called the committee of 300. So he's just re re recounting that testimony. Okay. Maybe there's more than 300, maybe there's less, uh, maybe it's a bunch of groups. And the good thing about John Coleman is he mentions a lot of groups and even a lot of groups that many of you guys haven't heard of, which we're going to look at. So here's from the forward and um, let me just bring this a little closer so I can read it. As I said, we're going to be doing quite a bit of reading for you. And so here it just kind of sets it, sets the tone for us here. John Coleman says this in my career, which has taken me to many countries. I had the opportunity to view a series of documents that were unusually explicit. What I saw filled me with anger and resentment and launched me on a course from which I have not deviated namely to uncover what power it is that controls and manages the British and United States governments. I was thoroughly familiar with all of the well-known secret societies, such as the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which is now called the Chatham House, the Council on Foreign Relations, the CFR, the Bilderberg Group, the Trilateral Commission, the Zionists, the Freemasons, Bolshevism, the Rosicrucian Order, and all the spin-offs of these and large number of other secret societies. Even before that, as a young student in the course of my studies at the British Museum in London, there it is, guys, the British Museum in London, um, I had cut my eye, my eye teeth on most of them, plus a good number of them with whom I imagined Americans were familiar. But when I came to the United States in 1969, I found that names like the Order of St. John of Jerusalem, called to the medics, the Club of Rome, the German Marshall Fund, 
the Cini Foundation, the Roundtable Societies, the Fabian Society, the Venetian Black Nobility, the Mont Pelerin Society, the Hellfire Clubs, the Knights of Malta, the Illuminati, the Interreligious Peace Colloquium, and many others were in a number of instances either totally unknown here in America or else their true functions were at best poorly understood, if at all. In 1969 to 1970, I set about remedying the situation in a whole series of first reports in more than several hundred monographs and cassette tapes. I pursued my investigations, pressing on in the face of attacks on myself and my wife, financial losses, continual harassment, which was all part of a carefully crafted and orchestrated program to discredit me. And this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that they would work to discredit a man like this. And that anybody that comes out to speak about anything of this nature, you know, the power behind the throne, secret societies, conspiracies, etc., infiltration into government institutions, that they're going to be attacked from every angle. And that's what this man and so many others have suffered. So there's a great cost to trying to report the truth as you find it, which is why most of your journalists today won't even touch the stuff with a 10-foot pole, and if they do, it's always to deride it and make fun of it and try to discredit it, even though they haven't a clue about it. A clue. Um, so here's a little graph of just a few of those organizations for you. Um, oh, let me go to this view so that I'm not... There, that's a bit better. So, of course, there's your Chatham House, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. A quick little point for some of my fellow Canadians. The Chatham House is sort of like the central hub of in Britain. And knowing that we live in Canada, which is essentially just a British colony, uh, our satellite organization that is directly in league and was set up by Chatham House in Canada is called the Canadian Council of Chief Executives. It's like a little mini Bilderberg group. And... A lot of these guys just get into it because they just want the status. They don't zero idea. It's rings within rings. But um, there's little, it's like, think of the Roman Empire or the British Empire where you set up little satellite outposts in all these different countries that you've conquered. It's kind of like that, okay? And these guys influence a lot of stuff that goes on in Canada. I won't spend the whole time on it, but just wanted to put that out. Of course, you got the Council on Foreign Relations. There's your Rockefeller as well as the Trilateral Commission. There's your Rockefeller connections. Uh, you got your Bilderberg Council. There's your Bilderberg Group, um, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with by now. And if you're not, they're basically a group of the top people from every possible industry, the military industrial complex, the media, um, and even government officials that meet secretly behind closed doors and armed guards uh, in different locations around the world and they're kind of they're similar to the davos group and a lot of those groups a lot of your world economic forum types um, and you, they all intersect with a lot of these different organizations okay so go uh i think daniel estelin's done a great books on it um who is it jim tucker was one of the first journalists in america to expose the bilderberg group go look up jim tucker he passed away years ago i think 2009 or something um so yeah bilderberg group get into that all of your top guys, banking CEOs or whatever, they're invited all the time. Then you got right in the middle, there's your Order of St. John of Jerusalem with your Knights of Malta Cross right there, working out of the Vatican, the official 
uh, Catholic military order that birthed all of your intelligence agencies, your top CIA directors, uh, your big pharma organizations. Uh, these guys are, you know, it, it goes all the way back to the Benedictines. It goes all the way back to um, the Crusades and the setting up of hospitals, hostels, and hotels for the purposes of generating income off of those things. And I think it just evolved and became darker and darker as time went on. And no, not everybody involved is a part of some grand conspiracy. It's all compartmentalized, but uh, this is literally one of the most powerful groups in the world. And I take them to task heavily in my Cult of the Medic series. You got your Club of Rome, which would be the modern think tank that works for your Knights of Malta. Knights of Malta were the progenitors of the Club of Rome. The Club of Rome are the progenitors of all of your climate stuff. All the climate stuff, Club of Rome. You're interested in exposing the scam around climate nonsense and carbon taxes and Al Gore and Leonardo DiCaprio? Club of Rome. It all started there. Uh, they were the ones that basically built the real summit and wrote, you know, they, they financed a lot of the books that came out like Paul Ehrlich's Population Bomb. Uh, you had people like Aurelio Peque, who was top level Knights of Malta, uh, who was one of the founders. And you just start reading their quotes and their papers on what they think should be done with the world. And there's your depopulation agenda. There's your one world government. And they considered in their after doing all their computer calculations and everything, they said humanity is the number one threat. So because humanity is the number one threat, all of our activities should be focused on dealing with that problem. Hint, hint. That's your Club of Rome. You got your German Marshall Fund in the United States. I don't even need to say much about it. Just go look it up and go down that rabbit hole. Of course, these things all need to be funded from somewhere. And there's, your, there's also a big Rothschild connection in there. You got the Mont uh, Pelerin Society, another, you know, another elite group. There's your Swiss mountains there. Um, these are just other elites. You got your notorious Hellfire Clubs in uh, the UK and Britain. Um, and, you know, they, they even dabble in the occult. They have these secret meetings. These are bona fide secret societies. And we call them secret societies. Even though we know about them, we can put labels on them. They have logos. Some of them even have websites. Uh, but their workings are secret. Their members are sworn to secrecy. And what I'm going to say here is that these are also just fronts for even bigger organizations that we don't even know. And I get that from quotes from people like Giuseppe Mancini, who spoke, he took the mantle of the Illuminati after Albert Pike, I think it was. And he spoke about how there are levels above us. We're the guys that created the secret societies and all these funds, and there's still levels above us. We don't even know who they are. It's so mysterious. Maybe it even goes off planet or something. Who knows, right? Um, but let's get into it. Let's get into the notes. Let's see what Dr. John Coleman is going to expose here for us. So he's kind of talking about some of the different ex-checkers and chancellors and certain people that were members of this committee of 300 that he spoke about. Okay. So he would say the committee of 300 was the top of the pyramid. They identify themselves as the Olympians. We'll get to some quotes on that. And they were the ones who created all of those previous secret societies and orders um, and banking firms and all that, that I just showed you. So he was saying this underscores how Britain was controlled or has how Britain has controlled the United States 
beginning from soon after the War of 1812 and has continued to exercise control over this country through the policies of the Committee of 300. So think War of 1812, um, the Bavarian Illuminati started by Adam Weishaupt was founded the day that America was founded in 1776. And then they worked on an agenda. So 76 to 1812, they worked on an agenda to slowly infiltrate the institutions of America right after the founding. Because they're like, we can't have a free country running around, guys. This can't happen. We need to create the new world order. Um, and what was it? The 18... 71 or 1870 i think it's 1871 the banking act 1871 so a few decades later that was created you've got the establishment of washington dc which is the district of columbia which is the district of the vatican in america has nothing to do with america as a land and as a people and all of that uh, a lot of these guys with the committee of 300 they would have had their agents um, even walking around your founding fathers and there was uh parts of the constitution that were altered and changed. And there's a whole story about how the constitution of America is actually two of them. And the one that they're working off now was the edited version. And there's actually the original version that nobody's even seen because they couldn't have something like that come into existence. So America won for a day and then was slowly taken over back by the British empire through espionage, intrigue, and conspiracy. And uh, the Committee of 300, Dr. John Coleman says, is the ones that were steering that committee, okay, and that agenda. So he says, what are the goals of the secret elite group? The inheritors of the Mariah conquering wind, the cult of Dionysus, the cult of Isis, Catharsis, Bogomils, Illuminist, and Communism. This elite group also calls itself the Olympians because they truly believe they are equal in power and stature, stature to the legendary gods of Olympus. Like Lucifer, their God, they have set themselves above the true God, believing that they have been charged with implementing the following by divine right. Now he's got a, the following are, I think like 20 something points. Okay. They're all, it's a whole chapter of them. I'm just going to scan them for you. And just let me know as I'm running through these really quickly, if anything starts to pop out as to what we're seeing in the media and in this culture war that we're in. So these were the points that he's saying through these secret documents was the actual agenda of this committee to overthrow America and take over the world. So number one, their goal was to establish a one world government, new world order with a unified church and monetary system under their direction. Not many people are aware that the one world government began setting up its quote church in the 1920s and 30s for they realized the need for a religious belief inherent in mankind must have an outlet and therefore set up a church body to channel that belief in the direction they desired. You know, we've all been calling this whole COVID thing, the COVID cults. You know, I call it the cult of the medics. You've got your um, climate cult. You've got, uh, you know, when you're talking about they setting up a church. Well, what about these discussions about the deep church? I went into this in chapter six. You got people like uh, Archbishop Vigano and many others that come from within the Vatican to say, yeah, they're setting up a new church under the guise of the old church but it's really the deep church, right? So the number two, to bring about the utter destruction of all national identity and national pride embodied in the old saying, pride of face, pride of race, pride of place, which was of primary consideration if the concept of a one world government was to stamp out the individuality of all people going to make up mankind in order to create the masses. So they wanted to do away with individual thought. They wanted, and by doing away with your 
um, national identity, your cultural identity, even your religious identity or the pride that you have in your nation, right? Um, that is actually part of an agenda, my friends, to eradicate nation states. And in the process of eradicating the nation state, which on the macro level is the extension of the individual in philosophy, which means it was the birth of the idea that there is such thing as an individual. We're not just a big tribe. We're not just a big hunk of the same thing. We have uniqueness. We have a unique thought. And you should be free to think freely, to act freely, to own private property, to reap what you sow, to win the rewards of your labor, etc. Um, and so when they're saying, no, 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 we don't want to do that anymore. We want to erase nations. That means they're also erasing the individual. And when you're out there waving your flag, whether you're in America, the Netherlands, Scotland, uh, Canada, and you're being called a racist, far-right conspiracy theorist that's aligned with Diagalon or whatever the hell they're trying to say now, uh, you know what this is. This is an agenda that was started a long time ago to eradicate your pride in your country, which was the before they were all infiltrated and becoming corrupted, the idea was if you have nation states that are strong, that do fair trade with other nation states, it's the same as individuals doing fair trade amongst other individuals, right? And you can have different laws in different places. Like you can have Florida with Ron DeSantis saying, we don't want to do any of this COVID stuff or any of this transgender stuff or any of this critical race theory stuff. We're going to do it differently here. We're not going to make people wear masks. We're not going to make people vaccinate. We're not going to make people do this stuff. Whereas you could go to New York or LA and you could have as much left-wing tyranny as you can stand. It's a free, you can do what you want, right? They don't want that. They want one chain that corrals all the farm animals at once. So when they just yank the chain, everybody heals. Number three, to engineer and bring about the destruction of religion, and more specifically, the Christian religion, with one exception, a world government concoction of beliefs. Um, and I think they targeted uh, certain elements of the Christian religion because it brought in this concept of a divine individual um, and that, you know, there are certain elements within Christianity uh, that was destructive to the globalist agenda. And I think in general, even though a lot of the origins of many of these religions came from these very Olympians, quote unquote, they looked at that as a phase that they wanted to erase. It was like they wanted to etch a sketch the old way that they were doing business. And they're like, let's do, let's not have all these different religions that were created specifically to control that demographic of people because they knew certain groups thought differently. So they needed different like distractions over here and over there to keep them under control. Um, let's not ever teach them the true religions, the true knowledge. Let's keep that for ourselves. And then let's just get rid of it all, restart, do a reset and create one religion for everybody. And that's what we're in the process of, of right now. Number four, to establish the ability to control each and every person through a means of mind control and what Brzezinski called technotronics, which would create human-like robots, genetically engineered clones and establish a system of terror that would make Felix Jaruzinski's Red Terror mild by comparison. I mean, when did he write this book? In the, I mean, he redid this book in like 2006, but originally it was written in the 90s. And a lot of the works he was studying about where they wanted to take things came from even earlier times. And we can go all the way back to Aldous Huxley, who was predicting the whole thing because he was a Fabian. He was a part of this British establishment and then came out and blew the whistle. 
Number five, to bring an end to all industrialization and the production of nuclear general electric power in what they call the post-industrial zero-growth society. So they don't want you to have alternative means of power. They don't. They want you to. Uh, they're trying to limit it. I mean, look, they're putting limits on how long your lights are on. They're coming after your farmers, right? All in the name of climate change, zero growth, zero emissions, zero COVID. <laughs> it's going to be zero humanity by the time they're done. Let's continue. Uh, I don't want to keep going through them all. You guys can go read the book, but like to encourage and eventually legalize the use of drugs and make pornography an art form, which will be widely accepted and eventually become quite commonplace. It's kind of like a reality programming thing uh, to bring about depopulation of large cities, according to the trial run carried out by the Pol Pot regime in Cambodia. It's interesting to note that Pol Pot's genocidal plans were drawn up in the United States by one of the Club of Rome's research foundations and overseen by Thomas Enders, who was a high-ranking State Department official. It is also interesting that the committee sought to reinstate the Pol Pot butchers in Cambodia and to prevent prosecution as genocidal criminals. And they've done this with all the regimes. All those regimes, guys, your Pol Pot, Idi Amin in Africa, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, they're all plants by these criminal groups that fly well above the banners of any national flag to suppress all scientific development except for those deemed beneficial by the committee especially target as nuclear energy for peaceful purposes nations who persisted in building nuclear power stations were to be brought down examples of nations that had to be dealt with were iran argentina south africa and pakistan Particularly hated are the fusion experiments, scorned and ridiculed by the committee and its subservient press. And they want to, they basically want you to have limited natural resources as the mantra by which they do this. And whether you're talking nuclear energy or the 6,000 classified uh, pro uh, projects on free energy technology in the US alone, uh, the work that was suppressed by people like Tesla, Raymond Reif, Walter Russell, and many, many others who could have liberated the world from all of these different types of energies to something that would be far, far better and better for the environment and abundant. Uh, they don't want you to know about that because they need you on the dole. They need you on, they need you to be eating out of their hands. You can't have any kind of independence going on or you won't achieve any kind of control. Now, will you? Uh, to cause by means of limited wars in the advanced countries, a reduction in the number of people called surplus to requirements and by means of starvation and disease pandemics in third world countries, and now first world countries, um, but they started in the third world countries. The death of 3 billion people by the year 2050 was their goal. And uh, people, this is uh, Russell's, he's talking about Bertrand Russell, who was a member who called them useless eaters. The committee of 300 commissioned Cyrus Vance to write a paper on the subject of how best to bring about such genocide. The paper was produced and Vance presented it under the title Global 2000 Report and was accepted and approved for action by former President James Earl Carter and Edwin Muskie, then the Secretary of State, and on behalf of the U.S. government. Under the terms of the Global 2000 Report, the population of the United States is to be reduced by 100 million by the year 2050. How many people did they say voted for Donald Trump? I think it was close to around 100 million, right? Because I think they did their calculations to know who were the most American patriotic people 
because they'd been flooding with immigration, right, for so long, bringing in people that were also being raised as soon as they came into the country with the notion that we're doing away with the old America. Welcome to the new America where it's not America. And, um, and yet there was always this base of America that was still strongly attached to the Constitution, to the Republic, to freedom, to owning land and all of that. And they estimated to be around 100 million people. And that's the target of this committee. It's always been the target. And look who's being targeted in the media right now. Uh, number 10, here's a big one. This doesn't matter what country in the world you're living in. Here we go. Number 10, the agenda is to, a weak, to weaken the moral fiber of the nation based upon decline and fall of the West. It called for planned decadence with stars leading the way. Stars leading the way. These are your celebrities. These are your late night comedians. These are the people we go to, even the academics that are the best sellers on your chapters, bookstores, the cultural, the culture creators, the cultural engineers. Those are your stars. And they use language coming from astrology uh, of the stars leading the way, right? They're the Magi, are they not? Well, at least they've supplanted the real Magi and they're just pretending to be the Magi. But it's funny the way they use these words. Uh, leading the way in demo demolishing. So this is what the stars were supposed to do. And let me know if you hear if this is what Hollywood has done and your media has been doing over the past decades. Their job was to lead the way in demolishing the institution of marriage, sex within the context of marriage, profane language, drug taking, and severely immodest dress styles for women. Some of the leading stars, especially created for this purpose by the social science scientists at Tavistock, were people like Madonna, Kate Moss, Britney Spears, and many of today's so-called stars in the movie business, stage and theater, the fashion industry, talk show hosts, such as Oprah, Dr. Phil, and game shows, etc. People like Ellen DeGeneres. And he's like, they would be happy to learn, they would be unhappy to learn that they are merely the end product of Edward Bernays and the social science stars at Tavistock. So these guys are puppets. They're also on the Epstein Island list that everybody's waiting to see. And they know how to blackmail these people, how to corrupt these people. They often raise these people into the spotlight to carry on this agenda. It's basically what he's saying. As jobs dwindle due to the post-industrial zero growth policies introduced by the Club of Rome, especially targeting steel, shipbuilding, and machine tool manufacture, the report envisaged demoralized and discouraged workers who are no longer employable, relics from the industrial age of America, and who started to resort to alcohol and drugs for solace. The youth of the land will be encouraged by means of music and drugs and porn and all these different things to rebel against the status quo, thus undermining and eventually destroying the family unit. In this regard, the committee commissioned Tavistock Institute to prepare a blueprint as to how this could be achieved. Look at the youth today, guys. Look at this rise of Antifa and the I'm not sure what gender I am. Everything's fluid and whatever goes. Let's be rid of all kinds of rules and borders and boundaries. This was all engendered through the universities, through the culture. And it's, also, it's been known uh, by, as the Aquarian conspiracy. To keep people everywhere from deciding their own destinies through the application of one created crisis after another, here we go, and then managing such crisis. Look at the news right now. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm confused as to which virus I'm supposed to be most afraid of. Am I still supposed to be afraid of COVID? I'm not sure. And all of the variants? 
the ninja variant? Is that the one I'm supposed to be afraid of? Monkeypox? Where did that go? Am I supposed to be afraid of monkeypox? Um, am I supposed to be afraid of, did you hear about the new tomato pox? <laughs> tomato pox. Like what are we, the climate, climate change is causing, causing myocarditis now. So there's actually things to legitimately be concerned about, but they don't want you to know about those things. They want to guide and direct the crisis. And if the media gets behind it, you can tell it's bullshit. It gets into FEMA a little bit. Here's another one, number 13. To introduce new cults and continue to boost those already functioning uh, is getting into, you know, Rolling Stones, the history of the music, you know, all of that. Um, it's funny they even call it Rolling Stones just in terms of the occult language. Uh, you got the Beatles. There's some creepy stuff going on with the Beatles and just some of these Hollywood freaks. And they're, they're creating, they're creating brands. They're creating cult personas so that you worship them as the gods, right? And then you do whatever they tell you to do. To cause total collapse of the world's economies and engender total political chaos. To take control of all foreign and domestic policies in the United States. To give the fullest support to supranational institutions such as the United Nations, the IMF, the Bank of International Settlements, the World Court. And as far as possible, cause local institutions to become less effective and gradually phasing them out or bringing them under the mantle of the United Nations. That's what's happening now. That's what the Great Reset is to penetrate and subvert all governments and work from within them to destroy the sovereign integrity of nations represented by them under the guise of spreading, quote, democracy as a bulwark against terrorism. And when these demoncrats use the word democracy, it's just code for communism, plain and simple. To organize a worldwide terrorist apparatus and to negotiate with lawful government for their surrender whenever terrorist activities take place by allowing the U.S. to establish permanent military bases in those nations, which will be carried out under the banner of bringing democracy. Go check out, uh, what's his name? The Economic Hitman. Confessions of the Economic Hitman. So now we get into a little bit of the history here. This goes into the East India Company. <clears throat> the British East India Company and their successor, the 300, which operated on the premise that they were the Olympians destined to control man and the planet, which already in the 17th century was showing signs of disintegration, largely due to overpopulation that had to be corrected. At least that's what they argue. A conclusion I reached was that every secret society I had examined was a lawless organization, a quote, law unto itself. This is really important so you can understand the mindset these guys are operating from. Why do they, why is it one law for thee, but not for me? We always complain about, right? We see Trudeau not wearing his mask, but then cursing you for not wearing a mask, right? And, all, and on and on we could go. You see them all flying around in jumbo jets meeting in Davos to talk about the urgency of climate change. Leonardo DiCaprio has a bigger footprint than Godzilla, you know? Why are they above you? Why do they talk down to you? It's because they believe that. They believe they are the Olympians or serving the Olympians, one of the two. And this is important in light of the words of St. Thomas Aquinas, who said, human law is only law in virtue of its accordance with right and reason. And this is manifest that it flows from eternal law. 
And insofar as it, it deviated from right reason, it is called unjust laws in such cases, and it is not law at all, but rather a species of violence. This giving you an idea of the difference between natural law and the laws that these people bring in to set themselves above law. So they are criminals, and they are engaging in a criminal conspiracy to subvert the real natural law of which your constitutions used to reflect. And they want to recreate the world in their image and rewrite the laws. Pretty simple. It's a conspiracy. That's what it is. It's a criminal conspiracy to subvert real law. Now, this is just a quick little background that's interesting, and it's going to segue into some content we're going to be covering on Unslave coming up. Um, but let me just read this quick. This is from his chapter, Getting to Know Some Secret Societies. He said, My in-depth studies at the British Museum in London provided a great deal of enlightenment, and I was helped along by access to documents not available to the general public. Slowly at first, I was led to a conclusion that there was a major player somewhere with the reach and power to direct many secret societies that plagued our world. So he's talking about the big fish, the big mafia, the high table, not your just local gangs, like your trilateral commission, just little fronts set up for certain purposes. He's talking about who runs the show, who runs the Rothschilds, who runs the Rockefeller, who runs all these people we know about. Papers and documents made available had a profound effect, particularly a report on the speech by Reverend Robert Freich, delivered to the American Baptist Convention in July of 1963. The American Baptist Convention was then the most radical of the Christian sects. Harold Sassen was the president of the convention that year. Robert Freisch was the keynote speaker, and the thrust of what he said was much in agreement with the thinking of Thomas Malthus, who was also a reverend. Thomas Malthus. If you want to get into eugenics and the Club of Rome and all of these people, uh, and even your climate stuff, Thomas Malthus is a good place to start. He said, too many people consuming too few natural resources. This is their dogma, right? Malthus, the son of an English country parson, was an employee of the East India Company who had raised concerns 150 years earlier about the population explosion that brought about surplus population. You know, like Ebenezer Scrooge always talked about it, eh? We've got to reduce the surplus population of the earth. It was a position taken by the Illuminists of the day and carried through the 20th century by their descendants. Overpopulation and lack of education, as they called it, were mentioned in his speech, which also includes references to a corporate world. Quote, we should live for what a better world we call a corporate or cooperative or collective society. So collectivism, corporate, that's your fascist connection. And then with this whole let's come together under one collective, there's your communism. It's all the same flavor, just different flavors of Gatorade, my friends. This was the view held by the philosophical radicals, Jeremy Bentham, William Allen, and 100 years later, Harold Mackinder and Lord Bertrand Russell. Mackinder failed to say that it called for a fascist state, to paraphrase Benito Mussolini. This is the, all that, just to give you some background for this one sentence. I was reading it on the plane. I was both, I was kind of starting to drift off. And then this sentence woke me up and I ended up continuing to read. He's like, the solution, according to Bertrand Russell, was to wipe out the excess population, listen to this, by means of disease, plague, pandemics. All right. And they put their Fauci's in position and they put their Teresa Tams in position. 
and they build the CCP party of China and fund it to the nines and then promote it and then bring it into the West. And they create these synthetic bioweapons. And then they also create the antidotes, which are actually the real bioweapons. So they do your soft kill approach first, and then they come in with the hard kill after. It's old strategy, plague warfare. All the secrets of the earliest beginnings of the 300 in the New World Order were closed to outsiders. I can tell our readers that a sister company associated with the Levant Company run by the Venetian Black Nobility. Venetian Black Nobility. No, don't think this is some African group, okay? The Venetian Black Nobility were called the Black Nobility named after their deeds. Their deeds were so black, so tyrannical, so evil, so anti-human. They were called the Black Nobility. Called the London Company. So this was, a uh, yeah, he's saying this is the Levant Company that was later called the London Company and was granted a royal charter in 1606 to establish the Virginia plantation on a socialist model that closely resembled communist principles. So this is just them setting up another experiment. They've done so many experiments before they're ready to go with your great reset. So much went in over decades and centuries for them to collect the information needed for the perfect globalist control new world order society that you could actually look at all the 20th century and all the horrors from these tyrannical totalitarians as being simply experiments conducted by these Olympians. This was the start of what was to become the Eastern liberal establishments and its family members were allowed to participate in the China opium trade. So this is interesting, getting into the drugs and the pharma, harma connection, where a lot of those drugs are derived from cocaine and opium and all of that. And then they, they control the white market and the black market. We got some testimony from Ted Gunderson, from uh, Charles, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, I got a bunch of whistleblowers in chapter eight on this, the connection between the underworld of drug running and the overworld of drug running in the pharma world. And they're all financed by the same people because there's groups that work in both the overworld and the underworld, the white market and the black market. They fly well above what you and I think of as reality. So they set up the China opium trade from which vast fortunes were amassed. So they, they actually built their palaces and their fortunes from the death and suffering of numerous cultures. And they built it off of drugs. They built it off of drugs, human trafficking, funding wars, deflating currencies, private banking, which wouldn't be a problem if it wasn't run by a central control grid like this. And that's how they did it. It also, This was also the beginning of the spiritual conflict that has bedeviled the United States ever since a number of the brethren established themselves in the American colonies in New England. They were the members of the right of Swedenborg, Gnostic, Rosicrucian, Unitarians, and Humanists. And these are all just names, again, sheep's clothing for the fact that a lot of these groups got infiltrated. They were kind of turned into these little cults. And they infiltrated uh, Christianity in America, the, a lot of these Christian groups, because uh, they knew they had to get through the religions. This is what they did to the Vatican too, to the Catholics. Um, all the good people were demoted and kicked out. And then these creatures came in 
who are all pedophiles and involved in all kinds of drugs and all kinds of stuff, but flying the flag of, you know, here, we're here to preach about love and light. They always fly under the banner of love and light, but they are nothing of the kind. He continues, almost 300 years later, the most important of these families was the Rockefellers who owned and controlled the Rockefeller Standard Oil Dynasty. It was this network that was used by the 300 to usher in the Fabian Socialist New Deal, New Deal via Roosevelt. So you hear Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talking about the Green New Deal. That is 100% Club of Rome. Doc. That's Club of Rome. That's the climate. That's, that's the same as Fabian Socialism. The New Deal started with Roosevelt, who was, if you get into Professor Anthony Sutton's work, I keep bringing him up, he showed you how these financiers, who would be the Committee of 300 to John Coleman, they financed three socialist experiments at the same time, Roosevelt, Hitler, and Stalin, three different socialist experiments. They were looking to see what's the most effective way to manage the human farm, period. Most of these families, while outwardly professing to be Christians, get this, guys, were pantheists, Gnostics, Rosicrucians, Deists, and Unitarians. Their philosophy underpinning it all was very markedly socialist, and that's how you can identify them. This is best understood when we consider that the ancestors of some of these families could be traced back to the Anabaptists and the Wycliffe Lollards, whose politics were distinctly communist. They're, and these guys are the ones that infiltrated the schools and the religious institutions in America, by the way. And they came in right from the beginning. There exists a school of thought that there may, be, may have been elements of the Bogomils among those who fled to, new, to the New World from the Balkans during the Inquisition, and also some descendants of the Khazars, which were a barbaric race of Indo-Turk origin. The Rockefeller family and the Astor family, Astor were believed to have emigrated to the U.S. from Asia Minor with this mixture of races and alien cultures dating back to the Manichaeans. There's some, so much you could dive in on all these points, guys. The East India Men, so this is the, the British East India Company. The East India Men did not believe that man was created by God for social interaction and mutual protection. Their thinkers dismissed the notion out of hand. Man but to be controlled and regulated. So again, getting the psychological profile of this enemy, all right? They don't believe what you believe. They don't think the way you think. They're not humanitarians, okay? They look at humans the way, and this is why it's so incredible to see Yoel Harari and Klaus Schwab and all these guys and Sam Harris and all these lackeys coming out preaching the gospel, that humans are just robots, and so what, if we're just robots and life is essentially meaningless and this and the universe is just a bunch of rocks and dead matter flying around and hum humans were just an accident and that we don't need to save humanity, we just need to preserve human cognition and put it into a computer and then integrate man with robots and cybernetics and AI and all of this. And by the way, the artificial intelligence Frankenstein thing, yeah, that goes all the way back to Babylonian kings that were seeking artificial intelligence. It's nothing new. It's ancient cults. But when you hear them saying this stuff, just know and tell your friends, they didn't invent it. Yoel Harari, he's a little pipsqueak. He didn't invent shit. He's reading a script. He's an ideologue. He's a paid shill for these people who are bringing this new religion. That's what the new religion is. Transhumanism 
is the new religion. That's the banner for all your little climate cult, COVID cults, all your little globalist cult. It's transhumanism, human 2.0. They think of it as an upgrade. And in order to do the upgrade, we got to trim the fat and chop off about 90% of human beings, especially the freedom fighters. And if we can't get them, then we'll groom them and program them because all the other, they'll call it the dumb unwashed masses. We'll just do what we say to their peril. Whoever's left, that's going to be the ones we work to target, to control and program for the new world. It sounds like a movie, guys, but my God, who writes the movie scripts? <laughs> I think it's the same people in many cases that are writing the scripts of the real world. And this is what Coleman's saying here, essentially. So... They believe that man had to be controlled and regulated like farm animals, and so with disastrous consequences. In short, mankind fell into the hands of a group of evil men who and women who controlled society in an instrument of malicious oppression whose policies were enacted by front governments. So here we go with the wolf in sheep's clothing, okay? And again, just to say, people keep expecting evil or tyranny to just walk in the room and say, hi, I'm evil and I have a very evil agenda and I really don't like humans and I think I'm better than humans and I'm going to like, they think they're just going to come right on and say it. Now, in many ways they actually do, but don't forget that your governments and your institutions and all these celebrities and all they're, they've become infiltrated. Okay. Not everybody's evil, but they've become infiltrated in key positions by people that whether they know it or not are in league with this agenda. Because who finances all this shit? Who builds all these things, right? You think you're a part of, you're a cog in the machine, right? Who runs the machine? Who created the machine? It's these people. So in short, by this process, mankind fell in the hands of this group of evil people who controlled society and they enacted front governments composed of officials the people thought they had voted into office. And here we are learning all about election fraud and that the fact that these guys are all selected in advance. We've been warned for a long time about that. It's nothing new. Their cousins in the United States were not only affluent, but also well-educated. And by 1905, their descendants had set up a socialist network in the U.S. funded by Clarence Darrow, Upton Sinclair, Sinclair, that's Templar, and Morris Hillquit, who would become household names in the U.S., and all of whom were directly controlled by the Committee of 300 with the exception of Clarence Darrow. Many of the highest ranking officials of the East India Company and successors and its successors were men with deep socialist beliefs drawn from secret societies, Fabian socialism, among whose earliest members were George Bernard Shaw and Richard Potter, who was a very wealthy man who wrote mystic and witchcraft stories, one of which has turned into a book called Harry Potter by the Tavistock Institute, primarily for children as an introduction to witchcraft. Other members were Stafford Cripps, who became foreign minister, Lord Bertrand Russell and Annie Besant, a prominent theosophist. H.G. Wells played a role, it played a leading role in shaping policies at home and foreign policies of the British East India Company, policies that inflicted severe damage upon the young American Republic. So they definitely crossed their T's and dotted their I's before they started this. They hit everything. Let me get through this here. So chapter five, the London staplers, the black nobility, the Levant trade, U.S. families and the China opium trade, the religious cults. It's a mind-blowing chapter. Here's a little synopsis. 
He said, I felt that I had reached a point in my research where it could be said with a good deal of certainty that a master secret society was in control of world events. So what we're targeting here, guys, when we're looking at this is that everybody talks about these secret societies and people are all arguing of where's the hierarchy, who really runs the show, but let's just agree. Okay. Regardless of any disagreements on who that master secret societies are, uh, that it exists, that there's a hierarchy, there's a apex predator level here that goes well above what most people are aware of. This master secret society I found, he said, was controlled by the most powerful group that came to be known as the Committee of 300. Its organization and structure was based on the London staplers who evolved into the East India Company and became the British East India Company. The East India Company was ultimately linked to the black nobility of Venice and Genoa. So I'm just, this is going to help you connect the dots. You got your black Venetians, your Genoa, you've got your Italian mercs, merchants. Okay. And then it evolves through all that wealth. And like, as the sort of new world was being built, all that wealth started to get funneled into the hands of these banksters. And then they started creating these companies and committees and roundtables and CFRs and all of that over time. So they were evolving with the times here, right? As opposed to the medieval period, they had to evolve into this new, new world. So the structured secret society acted in accordance with its own laws, disregarding or circumventing all others in its quest to make the United States a socialist state. And through its conquest, use America as a battering ram to force civilized nations into a new world order, a new feudal society as dark as any in the dark ages. Now, I didn't, I just want you to know when I was uh, doing shows and even bringing this theory out in Cult of the Medics of how I looked at this technocratic world, the Great Reset New World Order, as them trying to resurrect serfdom and feudalism again. I hadn't read this page. So when I saw John Coleman confirming my, my intuition, I was like, ah, oh, nice. There's another confirmation. It's funny how that happens, but he saw it the same way. That's what socialism is. It's modern feudalism. You own nothing, but I'll tell you, you're not going to be happy. According to Upton Sinclair, the U S had state socialism ever since 1962, Robert Reverend Frerich declared that individualism in the sense of American frontier days is anarchism. Today, we exist in a corporate society. So he was trying to dismantle the very notion of being an individual and having individual rights and private property because they were all socialists. So they had to do this slow work, long march to the institutions, right? And he says, a corporate society is just another name of what Lenin called state capitalism. And a corporate society is merely socialism and some call it fascism, a short step away from communism. It's all totalitarianism in the end. Unlike most Americans who believe that communism originated in Bolshevik Russia, I am of the opinion that it can be traced to the left wing of the Hussites and the Anabaptists and is therefore not a recent philosophy that began with Marx, Lenin, Trotsky, and the Bolsheviks, as we have been led to believe. It was an extremely violent organization and its membership came from a myriad of occult groups. This is another suspicion I've had for a long time, my friends that this, these communist ideologies came out of the occult secret societies. They weren't some organic flow of history like you're taught in school. Now, 
this one here is really interesting. He gets a little bit into Walter Rathenau. This is the guy that John Coleman is talking about in chapter one of Cult of the Medics. All right, this is the, one of the sources that he found that was talking about the plan these Rothschilds, who were the agents of the committee, were talking about. And so here's the statement, but let me set the statement up with a bit of that history. So he's saying, Rathenau may have thought he was safe from reprisals, having been an advisor to the Rothschilds at one time. Plus, he was known for having strong socialist credentials, a further cushion against the unforeseen. Clearly, Rathenau was a very well-informed person, a member of the German hierarchy. He had served as head of the KRA Economic War Management from 1914 to 1915, and was also the head of the giant, I can't pronounce that, AEG, let's call it. He was the head of the giant AEG, founded by his father, Emil, succeeding to the company's chairmanship in 1915. He played a leading role in formulating the Third Supreme Command military industrial complex led by Hindenburg and Ludendorff. Clearly, he was a man in a position to know the inner secrets of the Committee of 300. Perhaps he was counting on these affiliations with the rich and the powerful to protect him when he wrote an article for the Weimar Press, the press at the time of the Weimar Republic. It was published on December 24, 1921, from which the following is extracted, quote, only 300 men, each of whom knows all the others, govern the fate of Europe. They select their successors from their own entourage. These men have the means in their hands of putting an end to the form of the state which they find unreasonable. So these are the, this is your secret government, guys. We're getting the history of it right now. And go source all this. It's fascinating. Now he talks about something. I like the term that he uses. Up, the upper level parallel secret government. What do you think he's talking about there, guys? He's talking deep state. We call it the deep state now. He called it the upper level parallel secret government. It's actually a, a very appropriate term. So if you want to talk about this with people, I think this is a very appropriate term, even though it's got a few more words to it. You say, you've heard of this deep state thing? Well, what it really is, is an upper level management that's parallel to the government you see on your TV. And it's a secret. It's a secret parallel government that is, you know, how many classifications of top secret go above the president of the United States? What the hell else do you need to know? And this upper level parallel secret government in the United States does not operate from dark basements and secret underground chambers. That's the secret societies that give these guys their marching orders. It, he says, it places itself in full view in the White House, the Congress, in Number 10 Downing Street in Britain, and in the Houses of Parliament, and on the front pages of the great daily newspapers. So there's your, there's your system. The, the system we analyze and look at in this movement, this, when we say they don't, in one sense, they're hiding everything, but in another sense, they let you know everything. Like, it's this weird thing, that this game that they play. And it's also strategic. This is how you infiltrate and take over entire nations. You've got your controlling committees that are behind the curtain, and then you've got your puppets out in front of the curtain. It's as simple as that. That's the simple way of putting it. He says, it is nothing like those weird and supposedly terrifying monster in the movies where the monster appears with distorted features, long hair, and even longer teeth, growling and slavering all over the place. These creations are but distractions 
the real monsters, he said, wear business suits and drive to work in limousines on Wall Street and on Capitol Hill. He's so right. These men of the open conspiracy, and by the way, open conspiracy was called that by H.G. Wells. Actually, I think that's the title of his book. So these men of the open conspiracy are in open view. They sit openly in the seats of power, in the House, in the Senate, the Parliament, the Oval Office, in the paneled boardrooms of Wall Street. They wear the highest ranking military uniforms. They warm the benches of the judiciary. Justice Brandedus, the prime mover of the so-called Belfort Declaration, was one such individual. And then he gets into the Belfort Declaration. But do you remember, I don't know if you remember in chapter eight, the cult of the medics, anybody that saw it, I brought forward the testimony of former FBI director of Los Angeles, Ted Gunderson, who said, I found through my own networks, my own connections, that we had corruption in the government. We had corruption in the FBI. We had corruption in the CIA, the intelligence agencies. We had corruption in the media and the press. We had corrupt judges. We had corrupt judiciaries, corrupt um, you know, lawmakers, legislators. You know, This corruption had infiltrated everything. Well, he's being corroborated right now by uh, Dr. Coleman. Now, this is just to understand the vastness, the big, the size of it, right? The one world government conspiracy. And by the way, if you're talking conspiracy with people, leave all the crazy interdimensional shit on the shelf and the just pie in the sky wackadoodle stuff, even if it's true, just leave that on the shelf for newbies. Talk about the one world government conspiracy. It's very easy to prove. It's happening in front of our eyes. If they go, what, what conspiracy are you talking about? Go, oh, the one world government. They want to have a one world government. Oh, isn't that a good thing? And then you just go from there. That's a good place to start with newbies, okay? And it's actually really the crux of the entire thing. They want world control. To understand how vast and all-pervasive the New World Order conspiracy is, it would be appropriate at this point to state the goals set by the Committee of 300 for the pending conquest and control of the world. There are at least 40 known branch offices of the Committee of 300, and we shall be listing these with description of their functions. Once this is studied, it becomes easy to understand how one central conspiratorial body is able to operate successfully and why it is that no power on earth can withstand their driving onslaught against the very foundations of a civilized world based on the freedom of the individual, especially as, as it is declared in the United States Constitution. So he's basically talking about something that I've been rambling on for quite a while about, which is compartmentalization and how it's possible because that's the number one rebuttal you're going to get from your normie friends is, oh, they couldn't possibly hold together a grand global conspiracy over a long period of time. Really now, really now. Let's look further. The name New World Order is perceived by newcomers as something that developed as a consequence of the Gulf War in 1991, whereas the idea of a one world government is recognized as being centuries old. In fact, it had its origin with the East India Company being chartered by Queen Elizabeth I in 1600 and as a joint stock company. So it was actually a legitimate, or it has a legitimate origin in the East India Company and Chatham House. And there's your queen, there's your Masonic connection, there's your top, top of the food chain level stuff. And of course, even Queen Elizabeth, she's just another front what lurks behind that but still higher up on the totem pole than people imagine. So he says, the new world order is not new. 
It has been developing under one or another guise for a very long time. Its father was the London Mercer Company and its grandfather, the London Staplers, going back to the German Hansa and the Hansa of Belgium, all the way back to India. From this background came the East India Company, some of whose members, board members, were from the Anabaptist communists. So it's, it goes back. And if you go into Michael Desarian's work and people like that, you're going to find this goes all the way back into antiquity. Now, talked about this a lot on my show and in uh, my documentary series, The Club of Rome. Th this would be a really good thing to focus on with people so we don't have to get really technical and zoom, zoom out so big because people will just tune out. We need people to understand when they're learning about this World Economic Forum thing and it's really starting to show itself for the horror show that it is, that that is not in any way, shape, or form the top of the pyramid, okay? Those guys are lackeys. They're nothing. They're new kids on the block. They're a bunch of twerps, all right, compared to these cunning, dark people. Um, and the Club of Rome, and, and it goes well above the Club of Rome. But the Club of Rome is a good place to educate people on because of how old their statements are. Like you can go back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, and you can read right from their own white papers what they had planned for the world and the type of policy that they were trying to influence in these Western countries. So get into the Club of Rome, get eloquent with that, learn about it, go to their own website, start reading the book, start reading from the enemy, read what these people have proposed, and then compare it with what you're hearing people like Klaus Schwab and Antonio Gutierrez of the UN and all these celebrities talking about. And you tell me there's no conspiracy. So he says, the Club of Rome is a conspiratorial umbrella organization. I thought that was interesting, and I did put this in Chapter 8 with the Umbrella Corp. Where did we hear about the Umbrella Corporation? Anybody? Umbrella Corporation? Resident Evil. The very popular video game I grew up playing, all my friends grew up playing, became a movie with Mila Jovovich. In 2002, it was released, which if you invert those numbers, it's 2020. What was the premise of the film? Opening scene of the film? They've got two different viruses and they, or they have a virus in some lab they're tinkering with the guy stealing it. And then before he walks out with the suitcase, with the antidote to the virus, he throws the virus in, it gets into the air filtration and boom, zombie apocalypse. That's how the movie starts. And it was all set up and funded by a group called the umbrella corporation, whose logo is literally the Knights of Malta cross on the top of the umbrella. Just go look at it. And guess what? It was done by a production company in Hollywood called Constantine Films after Emperor Constantine, the one who butchered Christianity and gave you an edited version of it and married it with Mithraism and repackaged it, which eventually became the Vatican and the real Club of Rome. So I just thought that was an interesting connection where they show you all this stuff because they love to brag about it and it's part of their occult ritual, in my opinion. But here we go. Let's, let's not digress too far. So Club of Rome is a conspiratorial umbrella organization, a marriage between Anglo-American financiers and the old black nobility families of Europe, particularly the so-called nobility of London, Venice, and Genoa. 
The key to the successful control of the world is their ability to create and manage savage economic recessions and eventual depressions. What are we in right now? We're actually in Canada. We're calling it the just inflation, <laughs> the Justin Trudeau inflation. And you're getting the same shit with Biden. You're getting the same shit in uh, what well, did, did they get rid of Jacinda because of how dis, how much destruction she did in New Zealand? I don't know. I heard a rumor she's stepping down. Who knows? Um, but yeah, look at what happened in 2008. Look at what's happened even before World War, during the World War II era with the Great Depression, where J.P. Morgan and the Rockefellers, all these guys started buying up all these struggling, dying businesses and banks for pennies on the dollar and basically building an empire where they became the top of the totem pole. The banksters. They manage it, but they're all run apparently by these black nobility Venetian Genoa families, which are the Committee of 300. Uh, so the Committee of 300 looks to social convulsions on a global scale, followed by depressions as a softening up technique. So this is when you understand warfare, you don't just walk in, kick the door down and then win the, win the war. You have to soften up the enemy. Even in martial arts, you know, you use the jab, you soften up the body, you soften up the legs, and then you move in for the final technique. That's how they work. They're Fabians after all. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. So you deflect, you distract. It's asymmetric warfare. You hit them economically. You bring them into ruin, which makes people desperate. And then they will do whatever you want. It's so easy. And it's ancient. It's so old. It's new. So they do this softening up technique with the economy for bigger things to come down the road as the principal method for creating masses of people all over the world who will become its welfare recipients in the future. So they create the welfare state. What do you think the New Deal was in America? It wasn't to lift people out of poverty. It wasn't to help the downtrodden and the poor compete with the big evil capitalists. It was to create a perpetual system of dependence on the state. Look at where we are now. All the arguments of that time defending it are all mute because we're still there and it's worse. Just go to Baltimore, go to Chicago, go to LA, go to Toronto, go downtown. Look at Skid Row everywhere. People on the street, addicted to drugs, schizophrenics running around. They let the doors of the insane asylums open and now they're flooding the universities. This was an attack on reality. This was an attack on Western civilization, and it was planned 200 years ago. The committee appears to base much of its important decisions affecting mankind on the philosophy of Polish aristocrat Felix Jerzynski, Jerzynski, who regarded mankind as being just slightly above the level of cattle. So there's a little anecdote for the idea that they look at it just like that Charles Fort quote, where he's like, I think we're property. I think we belong to something. All others warned off. At least that's what they, that's how they see us. They see us as their chattel. That's why it's one law for thee and not for me. So there's my slides. There's my slides. And I'll put them all there. But I mean, hey, they're just slides from the book. You could just get the book. You can get it on Kindle. You can... You can find it in a used bookstore for like five bucks because they have no idea what kind of gold they have in front of them there. Um, and, you know, I just figured that this is really crucial to understand. How, the, the, the age of this, the size and scale of it, 
It goes well above what's parading around on your television or in your social media feeds. A lot of this information, you've got to get it from like those old, uh, what do they call those things? The, the old film that you go to the libraries, you know, you got to scan it with magnifying glasses and stuff. Uh, you got to go into rare bookstores. You got to find the people that collected insider information. Um, it's a study. My library is full of people like Dr. John Coleman that have done other similar work to add other parts of this. And it's endless. And they were right because here we are. Here we are. It's happening in front of our eyes. And the fact that they warned, and actually you got people like Bertrand Russell talking about how they wanted to use plague warfare in order to achieve depopulation and the setting up of a world government. And you got H.G. Wells talking about opening socialist conspiracies. And you got people like Khrushchev in 1960 warning America, well, you guys will never accept communism, but if we just keep dropping little bits of socialism over a period of time and brainwashing your kids you'll wake up in a communist state one day and more of those, you know, Arnold Toynbee historian saying, we have to find a way to wrest this idea of individual freedom out of people's minds. That's our job in the institutions of education. Eliminate freedom. I could go on and on, but when we're talking about the conspirator hierarchy here, I mean, I feel even going to the committee of 300 level. Who are these people? Like my mind thinks of it as two. Uh, you've got them identifying themselves as the Olympians, which is really interesting. Who are the Olympians? Let me just look them up so I get this absolutely correct here. Well, look, what can we find on them? Uh, oh, yeah, this is why. Who are the Olympians? The Olympians, they are not the people that compete in the 400 meter dash. That's not what we're talking about. Okay, here we go. I, it's just, I just whipped this up. This is from uh, greekmythology.com. All right, so it'll be just as basic as it is, but it says in Greek mythology, the Olympians were the major deities who ancient Greeks believed in. The Olympians were 12 and 12, interesting number that 12, 12 and comprised of Zeus, Hera, Poseidon, Demeter, Athena, Apollo, Artemis, Ares, Aphrodite, Hephaestus, Hermes, and either Hestia or Dionysus. Their name Olympians originates from Mount Olympus pyramid, which was their place of residence. Therefore, although sometimes Hades and Persephone were included in the Olympians, they should be excluded in the sense that they lived in the underworld. So you had your overworld and your underworld deities. They were all demigods. The 12 Olympians came into power after dethroning the Titans, which resulted after the end of the great war between the Olympians and the Titans called Titan Titanomachy. There's just all the images of these guys. Okay. Now take a look at this, right? This little wreath. First of all, that's sort of a Druidic thing. Comes from the old Druids and Celts. Um, the oak leaves or the fig leaves. And the Greeks used it as well. And it was sort of a, a little tribute to 
the gods and the lineage of the gods. And then uh, if I can pull my slides up, let me just quickly show you. Where is it? Oh, I didn't put the UN in there. Well, well, let's go just look it up then. Keep this in mind. Look at these little fig leaves. There's the United Nations logo. Huh? Yeah. Okay, so they don't hide anything. So they do believe themselves to be the Olympians. And the Olympians being gods and demigods, offspring of the gods, that's how they believe them to be. My question is, are they so far off? Are they the progeny of what we call the fallen ones, the watchers, the Nephilim, the Anunnaki? Is there any truth to that? At very least, whether it's literally true or not, they believe it. And that's where you get your divine right of kings and queens and the divine right of these people to create the world. Could it be also the idea that they, this is why they don't, they don't have any empathy for the human race because they don't believe they're members of it. They believe they're above it. And when you're above something, you treat it less than you would treat yourself or your kind, right? And this would then provide the worldview and the belief system to justify what they're doing. And this is why they would want to work so tirelessly for long periods of time to maintain the blue bloodline, to maintain the bloodline. Meanwhile, intermixing humanity to the point where there is no bloodline anymore. It's just a big amoeba of all, all, all at once, you know, blending everything instead of having distinct, strong groups. It's a good art. It's a good asymmetric warfare strategy. If you're looking to take out your enemy, you weaken them over time. And especially if you're going to say, well, why didn't they just wipe us all out? Well, maybe they have a particular use for us. Obviously they do. They did. And now with all the advent of this technology, that's why you got these Yoel Harari guys coming out and saying, yeah, well, the technology's there. The 80% of the world's population is going to be useless because of technology. So I guess we just get rid of the useless because it's causing greenhouse gas emissions. And meanwhile, that's just the cover story for the fact that too many chiefs running around too many animals on the farm you can't really control anything can you i think that's the real reason and what if these olympians have access to knowledge of history of humanity of genetics of space travel of everything that the vast majority are not informed with because if we were informed with it we wouldn't we would do away with them we would become the olympians ourselves or we would take care of we would go back to a natural order. We wouldn't go along with this anti-natural, anti-human agenda. Just you know, some thoughts. And then if you want to bring in the whole, these people aren't even from here, which is another way they, that's why they're not connected to the planet. That's why they don't, they, they pretend they are, but they don't really care.
Because on one sense, they're talking about saving the planet from us dirty humans while all of their corporations and all of their war machine is destroying the planet and their Monsantos and their bears are destroying the planet. So they're all walking contradictions. So what do they really believe then? Maybe they hate this place. Maybe they hate humanity. But they needed us and they needed this place. I don't know. Or maybe it's just a bunch of psychopaths that just have these really freaky, weird cult-like beliefs, and then they operate off that worldview. However you take it, it's incredible. But the actions that they're taking are anti-human, anti-nature, anti-godliness, and they're um, anti-freedom. And they look at you as a commodity. I was just listening to um, a good little clip. Um... You know what? I'm going to play it. It actually is rather relevant. Let me pull it up from my telegram here. I want to thank Juliana, who helps manage my channel on telegram. She posted this. So I thought I would share it. It comes from an insider from the pharmaceutical industry. Let's see what she's got to say. Her name is Gwen Olson, and she's a former pharmaceutical industry rep. Uh, I just got to redo this so I can get the audio. Yeah, this would be good. So this this is just a good indication or a good little summary of what we're dealing with. Hold on, Gwen. We got you here. One second. There we go. Okay, let's do this. My name is Gwen Olson, and I am the author of Confessions of an RX Drug Pusher. I'm a 15-year veteran of the pharmaceutical industry, and I left in the year 2000. And what I would like to do today is I would like to dispel the myth that the pharmaceutical industry is in the business of health and healing. Because, in fact, what the pharmaceutical industry is in the business of doing is disease maintenance and symptoms management. They are not in the business to cure cancer, to cure Alzheimer's, to cure heart disease, because if they were, they would be in the business of putting themselves out of business. And that, in fact, doesn't make sense. I don't want people thinking that I am a conspiracy theorist, because, in fact, there is no theory behind what I'm telling you. It's all provable. And what I'm saying is provable is that the pharmaceutical industry doesn't want to cure people. You need to understand specifically when we're talking about psychiatric drugs in particular, that these are drugs that encourage people to remain customers of the pharmaceutical industry. In fact, you will be told if you're given a drug such as an anxiolytic or an antidepressant or an antipsychotic drug that you may be on the drug for the rest of your life. And very frequently, people find that they are on the drugs for a very long period of time, if not permanently, because they're almost impossible to get off of. Some of them can have very serious withdrawal symptoms, and most of them can have extremely serious withdrawal symptoms if they're stopped cold turkey, but some people even experience withdrawal symptoms when they try to titrate or they try to eliminate um, the drug little by little, day after day. So it's really important to understand the motivation behind all of the the current maintenance drugs that are on the market, even, for example, drugs such as cholesterol-lowering drugs. And what we are, in fact, finding now is that cholesterol drugs are lowering cholesterol 
excessively and causing other disease states as a consequence. So you need to be careful about trying to take drugs in order to remain healthy because you're never going to have anyone come to you and tell you that the drugs are always tried against a placebo in clinical trials. What a placebo is, is a sugar pill. And in fact, many drugs are not found to be much more efficacious than the sugar pill. And in a, point, a case in point, actually, is the recent um, clinical trials that were released in the meta-analysis that came out of the UK on antidepressants, on the newer SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor antidepressants. And what was found was the information that activists and other researchers have known for decades was that antidepressants are no more effective than placebo, no more effective than sugar pills. But yet there are over 44 million people that have been taking these antidepressants and a large number of them, people that have mild to mild moderate depressive uh, episodes. In fact, they, they proved that the antidepressants were not effective in anyone with the exception of some of the most severely depressed patients. And I can tell you from personal experience that there are a number of things that um, depressed patients can do to improve their mental status aside from drugs that are quite effective and, in fact, more effective than placebo. Uh, another recent study that was released um, showed that exercise was, in fact, more effective than either placebo or the antidepressant drug that they were compared to. But just like Bill Maher said in his uh, show, you know, we're never going to hear any ads on television that are sponsored by anybody saying, you know, the New England Journal just announced that exercise is twice as effective as antidepressants in curing depression. Uh, ask your doctor if getting your butt off the couch is right for you. You know, you're never going to get that kind of good information, fair balanced information, as long as pharma is funding the major TV stations, the advertising uh, that supports those television stations, the major journals, and all of the advertising that supports the major journals. You just have to be commonsensical people and understand that the pharmaceutical industry makes five to six times the amount of money as any of the other Fortune 500 companies in the United States of America. They are not going to easily or readily give up that income. And we are, in fact, considered a human commodity. Our loved ones, our children, our elderly are considered cash cows that are preyed upon by pharmaceutical reps such as myself who are encouraged to go in and build market shares without thinking about the consequences to patients, without knowing the mis information that they are distributing without being aware that the clinical data has been contrived or that the patient populations have been cherry-picked or that the side effects have been minimized and reported in such a manner that it doesn't present the information correctly. I spent 15 years in this industry. I was one of the best of the best, but I'm here to tell you that the industry has run amok, that we are at a severe crossroads in this nation and that we have got to take our power back and we have got to start making the pharmaceutical industry accountable for their actions and for the defective products that they're putting on the market. 
It won't be long before every American is affected by this disaster. And we need to be aware of what the differences are between diseases, between disorders, and between syndromes. Because if it doesn't have to be scientifically proven, if there are no tests, if there are no blood tests, CAT scans, urine tests, MRIs, if there is nothing to document that you have a disease, then you, in fact, do not have a disease. You have a disorder, and it has been given and has been diagnosed pretentiously, and you need to get yourself educated and understand that there are options, and those options are much more effective than drugs. You need to look into the nutritional aspects of your diet and your lifestyle aspects. Are you exercising? Are you taking care of yourself in the ways that you need to be proactive about your health? Because once you start down the road of taking one prescription drug on top of the other, you will be a lifelong customer for the pharmaceutical industry, and your choices will be truncated. So I would like to ask you to please self-educate, be proactive, and share the information with others. The next victim could be someone that you love. Thank you. Well, thank you, Gwen. Uh, for blowing the whistle on that. And if you want to learn more about how this horrific industry works and how it plays into all the things we've talked about today and all these organizations, go to cultofmedics.com. It's all there. Got it all there. Um, and there's so much more to come. And yeah, the pharmaceutical industry and everything that's going on with this pandemic, it's all related. It's plague warfare. It's mental warfare. And the ultimate goal is what I've experienced to you today that you can go and follow up on all these sources, do your own research and uh, find out this information for yourself. As I know many of you already have done, but guys, please help me share this out. If you found value in this information, uh, please share it out far and wide. I'm really working hard to grow back my channels on rumble bit shoot. Uh, you can get all my audios of all these podcasts over at Podbean or on iTunes. You just look up truth warrior over there. You'll find me. Um, all my links are over at dwtruthwarrior.com. And then for premium information at the advanced level, the best of the best, the cream of the crop, uh, for a small fee, it's available over at unslave.com to serious students who want to learn about all of these subjects and more. We've got so much coming your way. Um, we did have a little gap also with unslaved last week, but we're back this week. This, this week's episode is going to come out a little bit later than normal, but we'll have it ready. And then we're back on track. Um, and all your support there and, and, and here as well. I see people dropping donations in the chat and everything. I really appreciate it. You guys keep me going, keep funding and supporting independent media. Uh, we need it now more than ever. Help us get the word out to, so we can combat all the shadow banning and censorship and also just take up the mantle in your own hands, do your own research and speak wherever you can speak about it. Keep putting this information out. We're in an information war. And uh, so let's get really solid with these facts and help people understand, bring them up to speed about what's really going on as people are waking up all over the world right now. And we need it now because if nothing is done about these groups, these secret organizations and what they really have planned for the world, then it's going to be a world that none of us, even the people that are defending it right now would want to live in. Uh, and, the last thing I'll say is that this isn't our destiny. This isn't, this doesn't have to happen just because these people are powerful and they have all of these resources and all this knowledge and they've been at the top for so long. 
Um, you know, look at some of these competitive fields in sports where you have a reigning champion, you know, and then over time they start losing their, that thing that got them there and they become arrogant and complacent. And then another champion comes out of nowhere and dethrones them. And that's what humanity is going to do to these dark forces is it's the time for freedom. Freedom's on the move. Truth is on the move. Um, and just keep helping it move. It's kind of doing its own thing right now. And I see certain people stepping down. I hear Fauci stepping down. Uh, if he thinks he's just going to go off and sail into the sunset after the crimes in humanity he's committed, he's got another thing coming. Um, we've got farmers and good people who are fighting back all over the world. And we've got a lot ahead of us yet. But don't give up hope. Just learn how this enemy works. Learn from the great thinkers and minds and 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 inspirational works from all throughout history, even into our time now, that are trying to inspire humanity, educate humanity, and help save us from this track that we're on. And you can be a part of one of the most amazing times in human history by uh, learning about this and then working in your own life to achieve the freedom that you want. Whether the world, whatever the world's going to do is what it's going to do, but you can be free here and now. You can know the truth here and now. You can take control of your health, of your wealth, of your family, of your property, of your life, anytime you want. And, uh, but at the same time, join the fight to save Western civilization, to save freedom, and to save truth and reason. And may justice come to these evildoers. Thank you all for tuning in. I've got lots more coming your way here on Truth Warrior. Thank you so much for joining me, for following this show, for supporting me. I greatly appreciate it. And I'll catch everybody next time. Cheers, everybody.